So each and every week we talk with Bill English from Bible and Business. You can follow him on Twitter at Minnesota Bill. He's on Facebook at BEnglish61. He's also on LinkedIn, Bill English. And he's here I on am. Mornings with Carmen. Hey, I welcome. Am. Good morning. Four five out of four oh. Four five two five if we're, you know, really if you really wanted to I am not a person who would be ashamed for people to uh see my high school transcript. Now, I'm not I'm not advertising my college transcript anywhere, but I would not be ashamed of my high school transcript. So I got I got to tell you, you'll find this funny. I was a 2.0 student in high school. Love it. And I was a 2.3 in college, and I didn't even hit B average until I went to seminary. See, and and I sort of went the other direction. I was definitely at my peak in high school. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was I was having too much fun in high school and in college. I figured you get the same degree whether you get have a 2.5 or a 4.0. So you might as well enjoy college a little yeah, bit Yeah, I mean, in, in college, there was science, and there was foreign language, yeah. and then in, in seminary, there was Greek and Hebrew. Oh, I love Woo! Hebrew. Oh, I love okay. Hebrew. Oh, see, oh, there my you gosh. go. So, okay, Bill, yeah. let's talk about this wide-ranging, crazy bribery scheme that includes wealthy parents, a guy who figured out how to game the college admittance process uh, by bribing coaches and, I don't know, test proctors, uh, and... And so now swept up in all of this are some of the most elite institutions of higher education in the country who were, you know, sort of unwitting participants in uh, in all of this. I I think let's just start with this. Give me your give me sort of your initial reaction to these revelations. Well, you know, it's nice to know that good old fashioned corruption, greed, bribery still works, right? I mean, there's no salacious details here. This is just good old fashioned corruption. Uh, this also points to the fact that elites with money. Um, will spend it to get what they want, even if they're breaking the law. You read through this complaint. I read through the complaint last night, and uh, it's 204 pages. You can go out and get it off the Internet and, and read it yourself. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's filled with people who are CEOs and founders and senior executive uh, vice presidents and physicians and all the people that make truckloads of cash in this in this uh, economy. They're the ones uh, doing this, the ringleader. If, if you think about a wheel, uh, you have the ringleader at the middle who has really cooked up the schemes, created a nonprofit to launder the money. And uh, at the end of each of the spoke are the families. And while the families don't know each other, uh, they were all involved in, in the scheme. And uh, the colleges, I think, had a duty to know and they are right now not being indicted, but they are being treated as victims uh, in this. But I think that the colleges should have known if they give an authority to a coach to have certain number of placements, uh, the college has a duty to know who's coming in and to vet those people. So to, to my way of thinking, this is the elites taking advantage of their money, position, and power and and trying to, in theory, give their kids a better life. And it's just good old-fashioned corruption. So when we talk about corruption, you know, you and I both know as Christians, we're talking about something at a heart level. Um, but that heart level corruption works its way out in, you know, not only into sins that affect us personally, but then sins that begin to affect other people pretty dramatically. Yep. And and so um, from your perspective in terms of business, let's let's take it sort of to the institutional level. How important is it today that folks in, in these companies, that folks in these in community organizations where these men and women who are now indicted serve on 
um, you know, they serve on church boards or they serve on boards of other nonprofits. Um, this was a nonprofit. Like, let's just talk through some of the layers of uh, the ripple effect that you see coming uh, as these individuals who have now been indicted. Uh, we begin to see all of the places where their lives touch the lives of other people. Yeah, it's really quite sad. It seems to me, Carmen, that uh, if this is if any of these companies are publicly traded, if they haven't lost their positions between last night and this morning, they will today. Uh, any of the boards that they they volunteer on or serve on for nonprofits will probably be uh, severed today, uh, and uh, their talents will be lost. These, look, these are highly talented people. Uh, they have to be to grow the kind of companies that it takes to produce the kind of wealth that was required for these scams and briberies uh, to take place. Uh, so a lot of people are going to be affected by this. I don't know how many would serve on church boards. I can't imagine that many of these people go to church, quite frankly. Uh, this well, isn't... now, see, that's an interesting observation. Yeah. That's an interesting – I mean, just saying that's an interesting observation. Um, maybe you're right. Uh, see, that that's an assumption that I make about <laughs> – <laughs> about like a regular thing that regular people would be doing. But I think that you are reminding me we're not necessarily talking about regular people here. Well, we're talking about people that haven't been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, these Well, are, I guess we hope so. We hope so. But look, actions, you know, you'll know them by their fruits. Mm. This is not something that a person who's been regenerated does. You don't spend 75000 to make sure your kid gets a high SAT score, you just you just don't do that. It's bad stewardship on a, on any number of levels. Right, you let them study for free on the College Board website. It's a concept. Yeah. 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 Um, let's talk about the impact um, on these kids. Uh, I, I I'll tell you that's sort of where my heart went. Um, let's let's talk about what what young people learn by failure. Like, what might they have learned by being allowed to fail to get into the school of their choice? Oh, my heavens. What does failure teach us in life? It teaches us that we're human. It humbles us. It teaches us to work harder. It teaches us to apply ourselves better. Sometimes it teaches us that what we tried to do is probably not what we should be trying to do in the future. <laughs> it's kind of a of a self-directed uh, 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 direction for our, our vocation. Um, you know, failure is really the soil in which future success is grown. But if you're never allowed to fail, I doubt you'll ever really be successful. So this will just be like a, a thank you shout out then to uh, the University of North Carolina and the University of Virginia for rejecting me as a high school student um, so that I could learn humility. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Those were my those were the elite choices in my view at the time. Um, hey, Bill, let's turn our attention to the Trump budget All right. uh, after uh, let's just take a quick break and then turn our attention to the Trump budget and this concept of responsibility as stewards. You are listening to Mornings with Carmen. My conversation partner is Bill English from Bible and Business. We'll be right back. So President Trump uh, presented his budget proposal. It would add $10 trillion to our national debt in the course of the next 10 years. I think my question is, can we, the people, afford that? And should we continue piling a debt load on future generations? Is that really responsible stewardship? Bill English, from your perspective, 
Uh, what say ye? By ye says no. <laughs> Very simple. It actually adds seven and a half trillion of debt. You add the additional interest on top of it. That's where you get your ten trillion. Look, our public debt right now is at sixteen point two trillion. There is intergovernmental debt, one agency owing another, of about five point eight trillion. And the uh, public debt will go from uh, 16.2 today to 23.6 in 2028, add the interest on top, and you get to your $10 trillion. And it, it is irresponsible, absolutely irresponsible. I mean, I don't even think we can think in these, in these numbers. I think that this is part of the challenge that we face is that we can't even think in numbers this big. I think we have to. Uh, you you just you just have to take the trillion off and start talking about it in terms of thousands. So we're going from sixteen thousand to twenty eight thousand of debt, and then just realize that the exponential magnet, you know, the exponential amount is just so much greater. Okay, how much do we pay right now every year in interest on our national debt? Because I think people can think about um, having to pay like the minimum the minimum payment I have to make on a credit card or on my debt is is the interest. I have to pay the interest. So what are we paying right now each year just in interest? Uh, $389 billion, just under $400 billion each year on interest. That's projected to grow to $914 billion, almost a trillion by 2028. You know, our, our budget, our whole federal budget in 1984 was only $851 billion. So by 2028, we will be paying more in interest than what our entire budget was in 1984. Think about that. Okay, and who pays this? Like, how does the how functionally does this get paid? I'm not sure that it will. Well, okay, theoretically, who theoretically? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, no, but like, right? Like that. You're you're starting to stress me out, man. So well, if we're gonna have I stress lots have of women out. Near, near, <laughs> that's a whole other subject. All right, sorry. So, um, so if we're going to have nearly a trillion dollars every year, or right now we have, you know, nearly four hundred billion dollars every year just in interest. Just in interest. I, I think it would help people to understand when when we talk about this, we are talking about a financial obligation that every person living in the United States bears the weight of. This is this is this is debt that has been entered into. On behalf of we the people, on behalf of the American people, this debt right. is our responsibility. So ultimately, who pays this debt? Well, the taxpayer does. They, they, they estimate that each taxpayer right now has a liability of about $1 million to help pay off the debt. So you might think you only owe on your mortgage, for example. Uh, you actually don't. You owe another $1 million uh, for the federal debt. So this might be an interesting uh way to personalize this. If each and every one of us began on our, you know, when we put together our little financial assessment of ourselves, like what are my, uh, what are my assets and what are my liabilities? If we actually started putting on there, um, is that called a balance sheet? If we started putting on there that as a taxpayer, I also have a million dollar burden yeah. that is related to the federal debt. Right. And I began to see that I don't have enough assets to pay that off. And certainly my neighbor doesn't. And the neighbor beyond them does not either. So right. um, so when we talk about this ballooning budget, help help us get uh, gain some perspective on this. Um, uh, I mean, every president that I think that you and I can probably remember has campaigned against a growing debt and yet adds to it. Exactly. And we vote for these guys. Right. 
we, we, we believe them and we vote for them. And uh, lately it's been the Democrats that have been uh, crying foul about the debt, and they should be. They're right to do that. Uh, but once they grab the White House, I think they will grab it in 2021. I don't see Trump uh, doing a second term. Uh, once they grab that, uh, then it will be the Republicans crying foul. Whoever's not in power is crying foul about this. And we vote for these people, and then we turn a blind eye when they do something that we like. Maybe they, they put a Supreme Court nominee on there, they protect life, and we say, yay, they're doing the moral things. And so if they're adding a trillion dollars of debt every year to the budget, we're going to look the other way because we got some of these other things we wanted out of our out of our president. I personally, I, I think uh, all of us need to be a little bit more bifurcated or trifurcated in, in, in the sense that we can support on some things and oppose on other on others. We don't have to either wholly support or wholly oppose a president or a politician. I think we become factionalized in the sense that we support on some issues but not others. So, Bill, um, in order for us to gain any ground, we would have to, as a nation, stop doing some of the things that we are doing that are costly. Um, so we can't. We obviously can't keep doing everything we are doing. No. Um, because it's expensive. No. And and yet, I think that that's where you know that's where the challenge comes in, right? Nobody wants to cut the budget. Nobody wants the, whatever they're interested in having happen there they don't want to see that particular thing cut or maybe they don't i mean an alternative would be some of this could be privatized but nobody seems to be excited about that either 70 percent of our budget is social security medicare and medicaid that's 70 percent of the expenditures of the federal government okay and so you, we, we either pay for that we fully fund it through increased taxes okay or we have to reduce Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. And the reality is Americans don't want Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid reduced. They just don't. And so the, the American, we the people, are schizophrenic on this. We want our party, but we want the future generations to pay for it, or at least to pay for part of it. And so we fund, I don't know, 90, 93% of what the government needs, and the government borrows the rest every year. And this debt is just getting higher and higher and higher. And we're passing that debt on to our kids and our grandkids and our great-grandkids. And they're going to have less and less and less to spend on themselves because they will have a greater and greater and greater obligation to pay the interest and the debt on the federal at, at, at the federal level. To me, this is unavoidable, it's indisputable, and it's immoral. And it seems to me that we need to step up to the plate and increase our taxes and start fully funding the government that we have voted for, or we need to vote for different people in both parties to go in there to cut the cost drivers, which is Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid. Uh, to me, this is a very straightforward proposition, and it's a decision that I don't think the American people want to make. Well, and it's a conversation that you and I can continue to have in this uh, 2020 election process because we're going to have the opportunity to talk about actually radical uh, increases, like proposals that would radically increase the cost of, uh, of, of Medicare and Medicaid by adding to it Medicare for all. Right. Um, and, uh, and there's all kinds of proposals out there that would actually really dramatically increase federal spending uh, related to other things as well. But for today, we're going to have to leave it right there. Thank you so much you for this conversation. You bet.